Oh, good morning. No, it's good to see good to see you. Good to be here. You know, this has been an interesting week. Yesterday, I had the privilege of leading a memorial service for one of our veterans, one of our own, uh, a man who had lived a very, very full life. It was a beautiful moment, and I, I, I think it was fitting. It was on Veterans Day. You know, he was. Uh, from what I know, he's a man who didn't talk much about that, but I tell you, his, his service is lasting. His devotion to his family is lasting, and to be able to lead that moment on Veterans Day makes me realize just how fortunate we are to be surrounded by such people. So thank you. Let's pray as we begin our conversation today. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these people in this room. Thank you for bringing us here. I know it's not a coincidence that we're, that we're all here together. I know that you have brought us here for a purpose. Some of us may have just found ourselves here with nothing better to do. That's okay. I pray that you would speak to them directly. Let them know just how loved and important they are. I pray this morning that you would help us to realize just what it is you've done for us and continue to do for us each and every day. Lord, forgive us of those moments when we put ourselves first. Forgive us of those moments when we are not in control. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us each and every day to be transformed into your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I'm thinking about this week... This one, one thing came to my mind. Seinfeld. <laughs> Not how you thought I'd start the sermon today, is it? How many of you were avid watchers of Seinfeld? Okay. That, that, that's, or you can keep your hand down if you're embarrassed to say it. That's okay. It's a f- judge-free zone here. Um, <laughs> Seinfeld was on the top of television for, for many, many years. And it was really a show about nothing. Right? That was, the, that was why people... It was a show about nothing. One episode in particular caught my attention as I'm thinking through this week. Uh, they used a phrase, a particular phrase in this episode, and they made it popular. They made it, I would say, uh, an urban slang. Um, it was a phrase called yada, yada, yada. How many of you remember that? Well, the phrase was specifically meant to be a filler word as you tell a story. If you didn't really want to tell, well, I'll just let you watch. Let's just watch this little clip from, from, from Seinfeld. Want to show that? There we go. Okay. All right, we'll stop there. I won't show the rest of it. But um, <laughs> they made this phrase popular. It was a phrase that was kind of around before then, but they made this phrase. I, I said it, and kids were saying it. Everybody that I knew had used it in some way, shape, or form. But I think what we're going to find today is that this word, yada, is actually a real word. Um, the word 
is meaning something much, much more than simply nothing, which is kind of what they use it to mean. The word specifically means, did I go forward too, too much here? Okay, go to that next phrase for me. Um, the word specifically means to know and to be known. Now, there's several meanings for this word. As you remember, Hebrew words are packed. They're loaded with meaning. But two of the meanings that stand out on this particular word are to be known and to know. Now, I'm going to be going through several references today. I usually like to camp in one particular place, but I'm going to be going to John chapter 17. So if you want to go there, we can, because that's where we're going to be. I'm going to be skimming through several other scriptures today. So if you want to follow along or write down notes, you definitely can. Now, among these several meanings is to know and to be known. So the question I've had for myself this week is, what does it mean to know something? Now, that's all, that, I will, personal confession, I will tell you that was one of these questions that almost undid me. My good friend, uh, Michael Harbour, one of my mentors, he asked me this question. He kept asking me, how do you know? Because believe it or not, there was a a moment in my life when I was very sure about most everything. And I was right about most everything. You can talk to my wife and ask her. And the question I kept getting was, how do you know? How do you know? Well, I know because of this. Well, how do you know that? I know because of this. Well, how do you know that? So the phrase that I kind of went into, this is a $10 work. I started going down into an epistemological abyss. Uh huh. Okay, you can look that up later. This place where how do I know? How do I know? So what does it mean to know something? Now our tradition, our faith here, we put a particular emphasis on knowledge. How much emphasis do we really place on knowledge? And is our faith or our salvation dependent upon how much we know? Now, I, have, I know the general belief, uh, I'm generalizing, that's why I use the word general. The general belief is that, that if we don't know enough, then we aren't enough. I, I think for some reason, our, what, how much we think we know about God and Scripture is dependent on how much we feel about ourselves spiritually. I've seen it because... In the past, I've actually asked people to step up into leadership positions. Um, looked at some men. I said, hey, I need you. I want to see if, would you be interested in stepping into this leadership role? And their response, oftentimes the response is, uh, I'm going to politely decline because I just, I really don't know enough. What this tells me is that this general feeling is that a lack of knowledge is a disqualifier. I don't know if y'all would agree with that or not. So this leads me to my next question. If this is right, then how qualified are we to be in leadership positions? How qualified are we to really follow if we don't know as much as we think we should? So the question I go back to is how and what does it mean to know something? Is it an exercise? Is it a, uh, a gut feeling? 
Is it an experience? Can we know enough about God by simply memorizing Scripture? It's, I think memorizing Scripture is a great place to start, but, but is that enough, really? Is that what it means to know Scripture? You know, knowing Scripture is knowing Scripture, knowing God. And if we claim to know Scripture, but our lives really aren't reflecting the Scripture we, we know or we quote, do we really know the Scriptures? And as we move into this word, into this meaning, to know and to be known, this idea, I want us to widen our verbal palette today. Go to that next slide for me. So in this case, to know can be a pursuit of knowledge, um, maybe academic knowledge. If you think about this idea of yada, it could be a, a, one, of the, one of the definitions is, is a knowledge, a pursuit of knowledge in that particular way. But in this case, to the Hebrews, what I'm discovering is that their idea of knowing was much more intimate and personal. And sure, to some extent, it was informational. But the information was always meant to do something else. So when I, now, I've said this before. Information is always meant to lead to transformation. It's never meant to just be an end to itself. Information is always meant to be transformational. So yada involved relationship and experience, not just receiving information. It's something much more than that. We see Moses using this word, yada, whenever he talks to God in Exodus chapter 33. He's just seen these people. You remember that moment whenever he comes off the mountain and he sees his people, the ones that have just been brought out of Egypt, oh, through the Red Sea, an amazing, beautiful, miracle moment. And here they are devolved into worshiping a big cow made of gold because they thought well god can't just exist he has to be something so we'll just put him in this cow as if we could put god in anything and so here they are after everything that they'd done for him they still didn't know god the only one who really knew god at all at this point was moses in fact it says in verse 11 go to that verse 11 it says the lord used to speak to moses face to face as one speaks to a friend how how awesome is that god used to speak to moses face to face as if speaking to a friend but we see here that that even what moses does know about god it's not enough so then we see two verses later in 13 this is what he says he says if you're pleased with me teach me your ways so that I may know, yada, you, and continue to find favor with you. Now, that, that, I think this is great. Moses wanted to know God. And even though he'd spent time with him as a friend, he realized it was not enough. The only way he could know God fully, get this, the only way for him to know God fully was for God to allow himself to be known. And God wanted to be known. So he went with Moses. He went with his people. He continued with him. He kept his promise. And Moses' knowledge of God became personal, became intimate through experience, through conversation, through years and years of listening. Moses hid 
nothing from God. He was vulnerable before the one who made him. Now, interestingly, the word yada is also the word used to describe intimacy between a husband and a wife. So Genesis chapter 4, it says, Now the man, Adam, that's mine, knew yada, knew his wife Eve. Interesting. Now, I believe, though, that to know God, there must also be emotional intimacy. It's not purely a mental exercise. I mean, what does it look like to reveal our every emotion, our feeling, our thought, our intention, our mistakes before the God of creation? When we do that, that makes ourselves vulnerable. We talked about vulnerability in our men's class this last Wednesday night. And whenever you hear the word vulnerable, the word that usually pops into mind is weakness. But vulnerability is not weakness. You know how much strength it takes to make yourself vulnerable? What kind of courage that takes? But I believe that vulnerability is the way toward knowing God because it's intimate. It's close. He already knows us. We saw 139. We all said that together. You knew me. You know me. Every thought. Where can I go from you? He already knows us. And as he told Jeremiah, remember that? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He knows us. He knew his people. He knew their potential for good. He knew their potential for evil. He knew them, but he still loved them. And he knows us fully, too. He knows us fully, but he still loves us. And what I find so fascinating is that his people, they weren't really interested in knowing him. I believe they thought they were maybe um, had grown into more important things. You know, things that were more interesting, maybe more immediate. And so God became just another piece of information in their ever expanding worldview. God became another option for them. A superstition in case of trouble. He became someone you'd make a deal with. Hey, if you get me out of this, and I promise I will. They claimed to know him, but they didn't. That's what Hosea is about. You said you know me, but you don't. Hosea 4 says, Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel, for the Lord has an indictment against the inhabitants of, of the land. There is no faithfulness or loyalty and no knowledge of God in the land. Faithfulness and loyalty are also keywords related to this word of yada. There's no knowledge, there's no yada of God in the land. 5.3, the very first of three, and then the last of four says, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. They do not know the Lord. Israel, God's own people, the ones he loved, the ones, the ones he adored, they didn't even know him. But listen for a moment. Shema, Johnson Street. You remember from that last week? Listen to this. God wants to be known. He wanted us to know Him so badly that He made the first move. He continued to move through His people, but they got bored. 
They thought they knew more than they actually did. They lost interest. And gone were the days of David who wondered in Psalm 144, O Lord, what are human beings that you regard them? What is man that you are mindful of him? Mortals that you think of them. I mean, think about this. What do we know about the galaxy? Wow, why are you making that stretch, Scott? I'm going to tell you why. Did you know that we don't really know how many galaxies there are? Our Milky Way galaxy is approximately 500 million stars. It's about 6 trillion miles from side to side. If you want to know how big Earth is, I'm sorry, our sun is in relation to our galaxy, just do this. Everybody do this for me. Just hold a little, okay, imagine this is the dot of an eye, okay? It's the dot of an eye right here. Hold it kind of just like that. It's okay, you can do it. Just don't hit the person in front of you, okay? Look at that and pretend the dot of the eye is right there in the middle of your fingers, okay? That is our sun. Now, you want to know how big the, this galaxy is we're in, okay? The sun is this big, and the galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is the size of the earth. Pretty big. Now, the Hubble telescope looked at this point. They focused for about 30 days on this little big of a point right here in space that they thought was black thought it was black thought it was hardly anything there 30 days time-lapse photography they looked at this point just this point right here in space what they found was about 5,000 galaxies that are equal or bigger or a little smaller than ours 100,000 light years across 6 trillion whatever miles I don't know the science but if this is our sun and we're just revolving around our sun, what do we matter in this huge universe? But to God, we are everything. He wants to be known by us. His love caused him to come closer until one day he came. He walked with us. He lived in our place. He knew us. He saw us. He heard us. He forgave us. Did he come in power and glory and magnificence? No. You know what? He showed up with absolutely nothing except a mother and a father. He put his power and his might and his heavenly position aside to become the most vulnerable being known to man, a baby. He came with nothing except love. And God wanted to know us. He wanted to be known by us. Fully loved, fully known. Let me stop here for a moment. How hard is this in our relationships, to fully love and to be fully known? I mean, even those of us who are married, let's think for just a second. What if this afternoon you sat down, had a little spouse meeting, and you told your spouse everything about yourself? Everything you think, everything you've done, everything you've ever done, everything you've thought about doing, every little thing was out now. Some of you may say, oh, we do that every Tuesday. Okay, great. <laughs> I hope that goes well for you. But imagine if we did that and we told them everything we've considered doing, everything, everything, and we laid it out. How, how much would that help us to love one another more? 
I personally think it would probably be a very cathartic moment for everyone to do that. I'd love to see the next Sunday and who's actually here. But this right here, God knows us fully. He knows all those things about us. Every little bit. (laughs) And He still loves us. Could we fully love and fully know too? Fully loved, fully known. I mean, we could start now. Who wants to go first? We have some, okay, maybe later. Isn't this, though, our real desire, though, to be fully loved and fully known? Isn't that really our desire? Wouldn't we love it to know if someone loves us, even though we've done some bad things, even though whatever is in our hearts is, wouldn't it be great if we knew someone loved us? That means we could completely be ourselves. We wouldn't have to put on any fake or any airs or anything. Because this is God's desire too. Because He knows that we were designed to know Him. We were designed and created to yada, God. We were created for one purpose, and that is relationship with Him. So here we go, John 17. Jesus is praying for His disciples. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorite chapters in Scripture, if you get a chance to read it. But this is how it begins. He looked towards heaven and He prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted Him authority over all people, that He might give eternal life to all those you have given Him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The word, the Greek word here, know, is gnosko. It's the closest you can get to the Hebrew word yada, gnosko. So when Jesus describes eternal life, he doesn't describe a heavenly retirement plan. He doesn't even talk about pearly gates or streets of gold. He talks about knowing God is eternal life. So taking the Hebrew idea, uh, this, this approach to knowing, then if we want to know God and how to love him, then we need to know what God loves, what he adores, what he wants, what his ways are that Moses wanted to learn. And what does God love? You know what God loves? What does John 3.16 say? God loves thee. Okay, God, it's okay, we can all say it. God loves thee. All of it. Does he love some of the world, part of the world, little pieces? No, he loves all of the world, all people, all the world. And if we want to know him, then maybe we can begin by learning to love what he loves, how he loves. And this is one of the reasons that people of Israel broke God's heart. They stopped caring about what God cares about. They stopped caring about people. They stopped loving what he loved, what God held dear. They stopped loving and caring for one another. They would come to him. They'd bring him flowers and gifts and sacrifices and chocolate. I don't know if they brought chocolate, but they brought him things and it was fake. Was it love? God tells them what he wants. He says to them, I desire mercy, not sacrifice and acknowledgement, yada, of God rather than burnt offerings. He's telling them he wants them to be merciful to one another, to love the things that he loves, to get to know the people that he loves, to know and to love one another. He says, do that, then I'll know you really want to know me. Do that, then you'll start to know me. Personally, think about this. If someone disregards our children, 
they're rude to them, they dismiss them like they don't really matter, if they disregard my spouse, my wife, do, do I think they really want to know me? I think, you know, whenever we acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God and we decide to do what He wants us to do, imagine how awesome that is for God in heaven to see He loves my Son. He must want to know me. Now, fortunately, God does know us. He really knows us. He knew us before we were in the womb. He knows our thoughts, our actions, everything we've ever done. He knows everything about us, and He still loves us, fully loved, fully known. I mean, could we love someone else with their faults and their irritations and their limitations? And at the least, could we be merciful to them? At the least, could we give them the benefit of the doubt? Could we not be so hard on them? Could we, could we maybe... Uh, be okay if they make a mistake. Because to know God and Jesus Christ, it is eternal life. To know His ways is the beginning of that. It's not head knowledge, it's through a relationship and personal experience. Because if you add a relationship to personal experience, then it joins heart and mind. It makes your body and your mind work together. And and that, that working together leads to devotion. It leads to loyalty, it leads to faithfulness, it leads to a desire for more, and to practice it, to experience God. It describes a relationship and a word, um, yada, it describes a relational word now. It's not just about a, a pursuit of academics, it's personal, relational, and to know and to be known is personal. And once we realize just exactly how much God knows us and yet still loves us, how can that information not lead to transformation? I mean, how can we still be the same knowing what we know about God and what He wants from us and what he, how much He loves us? I mean, I'm a sinner. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. Look where God has brought me. After all my choices, He's allowed me to be blessed by you. Wow. How did I deserve that? This is why I'm passionate. Because, oh, how much God loves my family. This is why I love to worship, because this realization is just too much to keep to myself. So yada, you see two words here, yada, will lead to yada. You're like, what is that? You don't, it doesn't make any sense. You lost me. Yada is to know. Yada is to praise, to worship. It's a form of yada. Knowledge leads to worship. The realization leads you to, how can you keep it in? Judah comes from this word, yada. Leah has Judah and says, I praise because God has heard me. Judah, the tribe that would lead their people into battle with praise and worship. Several times they didn't even have to fight. They would just praise and worship and sing, leading into battle, and God would take care of the rest. Because in those days they knew, they loved, they pursued, and God heard and they praised, and it was beautiful. It was a relationship. Yada. Yada. Yada, yada, yada. It's about knowing God. It's about loving Him. 
It's wanting to know what he loves, people. It's about knowing what he loves to do, show mercy and bless and forgive. It's about doing what he did, becoming vulnerable to one another and to God. To, to yada, God is to yada, eternal life. And, and yada, knowing, leads to yada, praise and worship. Have you ever desired to know God to that extent? Because if you seek him, if you look for him, if you ask him to teach you his ways, so that you can know him, he will do that for you because God wants to be known. I want us to say that together just so we remind ourselves. You ready? God wants to be known. He is ready to be known. Are you? Are you ready to be known? Because he's ready to be known by you. Let's stand together and let's sing. Amen. Have a seat. I hope that this this has inspired you a little bit, and I hope that it's it has burned, started a little fire in you. Because I will tell you, there are people in this world who want so desperately to be loved, but they don't feel they are worthy or qualified for that love. You have the opportunity to show them just how much God is interested in them. I'm going to bless you with this. This is words of Jesus from John chapter 8. He said to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then he says this, then you will know the truth. You will know the truth. And what is the truth going to do? It's going to set us free. That's what God wants. He wants to be known And He wants you to know Him. Amen. Be blessed.